0: All right, welcome to Bible Study, everybody. Glad you're here. It's Monday night. It's exciting. I'm going to take a few moments and pray, and then we'll get to our Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your presence here with us. We ask that you lead us and guide us. I pray that you would just send an anointing, not only to teach, but also to receive here, uh, to apply. And I just pray, Father, that this would be a time where we're challenged and where we see some kind of change in our lives. I pray that uh, this would be just a night where uh, ideas are challenged, It'd Be a night where attitudes, where perspectives are challenged. I pray, Father, that this would be a time to just uh, see you move in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We give you thanks. Uh, we give you praise. We ask, God, that this would be a time where you be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. right. reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible Study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians Chapter 16 and verse 13. First Corinthians chapter 16. Get there first and then we'll move on to the verse. First Corinthians 16. I need a volunteer to read verse 13. All right, thanks for reading that. And uh, the way this is written uh, and the way it's phrased in the writing, if uh, you look at it in the original language, even in the translation, it's uh, advice, and it also has a hint of reprimand in it. If you look at what he's actually telling them to do. And uh, these were Paul's last words to the church uh, for this letter. And so he was ending it. And these were kind of his final sayings. You can see other parts have been added on, a lot of the uh, idea of you know, greetings, personal greetings. He signs the letter by his own hand at the end of it. But, I mean, this is the toward the end of the main part of the letter, the, the body of the letter, where he's giving instruction to the church. And so these are the last things he's leaving them with. These are the last ideas. And so he, he begins to make these statements, and there's... There's four shorter, sharper commands that you see that he writes there. And the feel of it in the original language is like, and even if you just read it for what it says, the feel of it is almost like it's uh, a military officer giving orders. Like, do this, 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 and this. And then the last thing he says, he starts talking about, and let all you do be in love. But the first four things that he mentions there are very sharp, they're very short, they're very to the point. And and to me it's kind of interesting that he would do that. He's talking to a church that has its problems, but uh interestingly the church has its problems, but it's his fault. He's the one that started the church and he was there for well over a year training them. And everybody likes to look at the Corinthian church and say, Wow, what a you know if, you, if you've ever done any study on the Corinthian church, people really like to uh, be down on the Corinthian church. Like, oh, this is a horrible church, or they had their problems, which they did. Uh, they, they they had all of these issues going on in the church. They did. And there are all those things that are actually happening in the church, and Paul's writing them in order to correct some of those things. But I, I don't know that people really think about it. Or, or If you read the book of Acts and you see how the Corinthian church started... It was Paul. And if you read the book of Acts, you see who installed the leadership in the Corinthian church. It was Paul. And if you look in the book of Acts and you see who trained the leadership in the Corinthian church, it was Paul. So this is his people. This is his church. And these are his people. And these are his leaders. And this is what he left there. And so whatever problems they had, whatever issues that were going on in the church, which there were, he's handling them. He's writing the letter, he's doing what he needs to do in order to correct the issues. Uh, That's people. That's how people are. That's people doing, and you've heard me say this before, that's people doing people kind of things. And when people get together and they start doing stuff, they do people kind of things, and people kind of things aren't always very neat and tidy. Because people kind of things a lot of times are really messy, and they're, they're really... Not things that you really want to look at and say, "Oh, well, that's the perfect thing," or "That's the best thing," or "That's even the nicest thing." Because people doing people kind of things sometimes is are rude, sometimes it's messy, sometimes it is unsightly, sometimes it isn't nice at all. But that's who we are, and I'm not making excuses for it. I'm not saying, "Well, it's okay because we're people." Uh, no, we shouldn't be rude. Nope. No, we shouldn't be mean to each other. No, we, we shouldn't uh, you know, lie to each other. We shouldn't treat each other certain ways. I mean, I'm not making any excuses for it. We shouldn't be doing those things. But the fact of the matter is when people get together and they live in community together, there's certain things that are going to happen. And when those things happen, those things need to be addressed and corrected. And that's exactly what he's doing right here. And so as part of him addressing and correcting the things that he saw that had gone wrong since he departed. You see that he's concluding in the letter. You can read all 16, the the previous 15 chapters, if you like, to see what he had to say and to see the things that he was correcting. There were certain things that just really needed to be addressed in the church, and he was addressing them. Good. Fine. He ends it up here, and he's saying, All right, well, these are your main bullet points. This is what I want to leave you with. These are the main ideas that I, I want to leave you with. Now, I'm a firm believer. If you're speaking in front of people, you tell them what you want them to hear. You don't tell them what you don't want them to hear. I'm not one of those people. And there are certain people who get up and they'll tell you what they're not talking about. I think that's really ineffective to do that. And every now and then, I will do that in order to make a point, and I'll point out the fact that I'm talking about what I don't want to talk about in order to make a point. But 99% of the time, if you want somebody to remember what you say, and you're up there talking to them, tell them what you want them to hear. You want to tell them what you're trying to say, not what you're not trying to say. And so Paul is telling them what they need to hear. He's telling them what he wants to say. He's saying, do this, 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 and this. And if you think of him as barking orders, well, he's barking orders. If you think of him as... Well, he's being to the point. Well, he's being to the point. He's being short. He's being short. However you want to see that. Maybe he's not being nice enough for you. I have no idea. But he's just letting them know this is what needs to happen. And so he makes these points. So he starts off and he says this, be on your guard. That's the first thing he said. Be on your guard. And be on your guard against things that are seen. Be on your guard against things that are unseen. But be on your guard. And so the idea behind being on your guard is like the example of a watch. If you've got a bunch of people that are in a certain place, many they will sleep, but then there will be somebody or, or people that will be on watch. And so what is the job of the people on watch? Cam, what's their job? You watch. You watch for what? The enemy, potential threats, you watch out for problems that are coming your way. So, how is that effective? Like, let's say you're on watch on the overnight, which is when you don't want to be on watch because everybody else is sleeping. So, you get you get chosen, you're going to be on watch on the overnight, or at least a portion of the overnight. So, you've got to shift on the overnight. So, to be effective at being on guard, to be effective at being on watch, you need to be awake, right? Is that fair? You need to be awake in order to do that. Right. So the person on watch has to be awake. Yeah. Because everyone else is sleeping. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but the person on watch needs to do what he or she is supposed to be doing in order for the other people to be able to sleep soundly and be able to get their rest and be able to do whatever they need to do. The person on watch needs to be awake. And so Paul, when he's writing the church... He gives them this. This is one of the first little things he says. one of the quick things, all right? Be on your guard. Be on watch. Be on guard. Watch. And so you can see that as a reprimand to the church in a sense because why do you have to tell somebody to be on watch? Because they might have been doing what? Sleeping, right. So if they were sleeping and they were snoozing and they were napping... And Paul's like, you guys need to wake up, and you need to be on watch. You need to be on guard. And so, that's all he said. And you read, again, the other 15 chapters, to kind of get an idea of what he's talking about to them, because this this is how he's leaving with a bang here, giving them these, these last few things. He said, all right, well, you need to be on guard. In other words, wake up. Wake up. Well, that's not very nice. Well, are they sleeping? Yeah. There's people that are part of that church and people that are part of their leadership and people that are part of what's going on there, <coughs> they're asleep at the helm. So in other words, they're drifting. They're going wherever they're going because they're sleeping. They're not being guided. They're not being steered anywhere. They're not going where they're supposed to be going. They're off the chart. They, they've gone somewhere else. They're not following after the place where they're supposed to be. And so Paul is letting them know that you guys need to wake up. You need to stop your slumber, stop your sleep, You need to wake up and somebody needs to steer the boat because the boat's drifting. We're going somewhere we don't want to go. And he just spent 15 chapters of a letter explaining to them where they don't want to go. It's like you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. You don't want to be there. So you need to get a hold of the the, the steering wheel on this thing. You need to get it back on track. You need to get it back to where it's supposed to be going. You need to wake up. You got people in the church that are messing up. Right. Well, that's going to happen. That little hint, if you ever want to run anything, you ever want to steer anything as a Christian, you want to get a bunch of people together, I don't care how big or how small it is, it's going to go off the rails. Because people are people doing people kind of things. And unless somebody is at the helm, unless somebody's watching, somebody's awake, they're just going to go do whatever they're going to do. And so somebody has to be there to say, hey, 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 you may not want to do that. Hey, you're being rude. Hey, hey. Okay, maybe you guys need to get together and talk this out. Hey, can we hug it out here? Whatever needs to happen, all right? But somebody's got to guide that. And that's what Paul's saying to these people. He's like, somebody's got to wake up. Somebody's got to really take hold of this because if you just let things go the way they're going to go, well, then they go. And it goes, according to everything we see here, it goes kind of bad. And that's how it is. You know, people judge the Christian church like, well, you know, they're this or that. Well, yeah, because they're people. Well, they're not supposed to be like that. No, no. Well, nobody's supposed to be like that, right? You know, it's like you know that old joke. It's like I ain't never been to jail. Well, you're not supposed to go to jail. All right. Well, good. Okay. So, so the idea is, is that people do drift off. People do get you know whatever they're gonna do. But we gotta be awake. We gotta be aware. We gotta be. You got to care enough about each other to watch out for each other. Because when it comes right down to it, if you got somebody on watch, they're going to have to care enough about the people they're watching out for, right? If you got a bunch of people sleeping, they're dependent on you. Stay on watch. Stay on guard. You got to care enough about them, their safety and their well-being, that you're going to stay awake and you're going to be on guard. If you don't care. Well then, I guess they put their trust in the wrong person, right? Yeah. So, so Paul, first thing, say, hey, be on guard, keep awake, keep your eyes open. I mean, if your eyes are closed and you're not paying attention, what chance do you have against the enemy? Kind of none, right? None, because no one's watching. No one's caring. No one's eyes are open. And the enemy can just come in and do whatever he wants to do. I just recounted a story on Sunday when Saul was chasing David. And uh, that David came across Saul's army sleeping one night. You know, David and his men. And so they snuck down into the camp. And they were able to take a jug of water right from Saul's head and take his spear, which was right by his head. Meaning... That when David snuck down there with his with the guy his compatriot that he went down there with, he could have killed Saul, and so what he did was he went up onto the hill when he was safely enough away, and he yelled down and he woke him up and and he woke up the the guy, the leader of the army who was supposed to be guarding Saul the king, his name was Abner, he's like, "Hey, Abner, you're a loser." And you can read it if you want. He might not have used the word loser, but he meant it. Because that's what he, he said. You've not done your job. You've not cared for the king. You have not shown the appropriate amount of oversight and care for your king. Because I was able to sneak down there. I took his water jug. I took his spear and I could have killed him because you weren't doing your job. I guess he just didn't care enough. And, and so Paul, seeing that, seeing that in the church, he's like, you got to get on guard. you got to wake up. you got to open your eyes. And a part of this for us of being alert and awake in our own life, if you want to just apply this to you, so you don't have to feel bad about not caring about the people around you, if you just want to apply this to you, you got to start looking at motives. And start asking you questions, why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? Why don't I care? And you look at your motives and you look at, okay, what's driving these things? Because motives are important. They have to be examined because if we're going to defeat deception in our life, we've got to examine motives, honestly examine motives. Because deception comes. You can explain away just about anything, any behavior. You want to do something, you can explain it away. You can justify behavior. You can justify behavior using other people. Like, well, they do that. Okay, well, they don't care about that. Okay, well, somebody did this to me. I guess it must be. That doesn't make it okay. And just because somebody else does something or somebody did something to you one day, that doesn't make it okay. It's justification. You justify your behavior through the behavior of others. Or maybe you can tell yourself it's not that bad. Well, maybe it isn't. Compared to who? Well, I don't know. Who do you want to compare to? Who? What bad person do you want to compare to, so you can feel better about stuff you do? You know, like Jeffrey Dahmer. You want to compare yourself to him? Okay, he's a nasty killer. All right, you're not that bad. You must be doing pretty good then. Is that the standard? You see, justification just works however you want it to, and you can make things up. I'm just, I just use something really obviously whatever, but. Justification is a lot more subtle than that. And we just allow that in our lives. We allow for that in our lives because we don't want to deal with whatever it is that's driving us. So motives are those kind of things. And part of really examining our motives is to just be eyes wide open. is, Is to really look. Jesus put a premium on motives. If you never noticed that in the New Testament. See, the Old Testament was all about action. In other words, it's what you did. Jesus went way beyond that. He talked about, he's like, well, if you hate your brother in your heart, well, all right, yeah, well, then you've already committed murder against him. Well, in the Old Testament, that wasn't the case. If you didn't pick up a rock and kill your brother, you didn't commit murder. There was no action that took place, and so there was no murder. But Jesus is like, well, if you... Hate your brother in your heart. You've committed murder. And so he's looking at, okay, what's the condition of the heart? What is driving out of your heart? Uh, other places in the New Testament, Jesus talking about is like, well, it, it, the idea behind the heart and the things that proceed from the innermost man, the things that proceed from the heart, is like if the sin doesn't come into you, like you don't eat sin. Uh, We we want to believe that. We want to believe that somehow sin is caused by some external force. Like, oh, it's from watching that image on a screen, or it's from participating in that video game, or it's from listening to that particular kind of music or reading that particular kind of book. Like these things, these outside things are causing this evil inside of us. But Jesus says not those things. He says, it's out of your heart that proceeds evil. And so he takes all of that that idea about the external, and he takes all that idea about the things that are out there, and the things that are, are, are pressing against us. And we love to think of it as that we can blame those things for however it is we're feeling in our, our lives, but it's not those things. It's what's coming out of our hearts that's the problem. For out of the heart proceeds the evil. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Out of the heart proceeds the evil actions. Out of the heart proceeds the evil talk. That comes from inside of us. It's a part of us inside of us, and that's where it comes from. The Bible tells us, as a man thinks in his heart, as a person thinks in, in his or her heart, so he or she is. That's how important that is. And so Jesus dealt with us, spoke to us. On a level of motive, of something on the inside of us as being important. And so if we want to apply this word to ourselves as far as what does this mean for our own growth, what does this mean for our own life and and, and being a life giver and being able to live in the life that God's given me, well, we have to be eyes wide open, we have to be examining, we have to be aware of, we have to be awake to what's driving us. And that means what's in here. And a lot of times we don't want to know what's in there. Because maybe it's not pretty. Or maybe it's not desirable. Or maybe it's not who we want to be. Well, it's probably not who you want to be. And it's probably not pretty. And it's probably not desirable. It's probably kind of ugly. But it's the truth. And the truth and getting hold of that truth And understanding that truth and putting ourselves in a position to really examine that truth puts puts us in a position to be set free. And that's the only way I know of. Because pretending it doesn't exist doesn't affect it. In fact, it just makes it worse. That's a slumber. That's a dream. And that's exactly what Paul's telling them not to do. Don't go to sleep. Don't slumber. Don't pretend. Don't live in your fantasy world. Don't live in that place that doesn't really exist. But let's live in a reality. Let's live in as ugly as reality can be sometimes. At least it's real. At least it's, it's something that is actual. At least it's something that is tangible. And so as ugly as reality can be, reality is the place where life is lived. Reality is the place where freedom is found. Reality is the place where liberty is gained. Reality is the place where we begin to learn how to be set free, how to live in joy, I mean real joy that means something, how to affect people's lives around us, how to see God use us. That all takes place in reality. And as ugly as that can be in our own lives, that's the starting point. To look and say, honestly, okay, well, this is who I am. All right. Well, let's see. God, what can we do? What? What's some change that can happen here? What if I confess this is who I am to you? What if I ask for forgiveness and cleansing? The Bible says, if you'll do that, He is faithful, He is just, and He will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what it says. But you got to at least admit it. You got to at least see it. You got to at least be awake enough to 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 look at it for what it is. But you're not going to do that from a place of slumber. And so we have two levels of this, and I'm going to leave you with these two levels. The first is this whole idea that we're called to be awake if we care about the people around us. And so in a real way, we have to be. We have to wake up out of our slumber. We have to be on watch. For the people around us. If we're going to care. If we're really going to care about anybody. And to take the time. And to make the effort. And to actually care enough about the people around us. To stay awake. And to stay on watch. But the second part of it. Is if we're going to grow. And we're going to actually be and become. And, and God's going to do his work in us. The way that he wants to do his work in us. And we're going to realize that in our lives. We've got to be awake. And We have to be aware and we have to be conscious of the truth about who we are. And let Him deal with that. And again, that's not a pretty process all the time. In fact, sometimes it's a really messy process, but it's a needed process if we're ever going to grow or be set free and or be set free. And I think that's what God has for us. That's why the church, and I've talked about this a lot over the years, but that's why the church can't be a place of judgment, because anybody that's afraid of being judged isn't going to be honest about who they are. That's <clears> why <throat> most that's why most places you go and, and everybody's perfect, like they look like it anyway. How's it going? Great How are you feeling today? Awesome. What's going on in your life? Nothing but really great things. You want to hear them all? No no, no and And that's what it becomes. But that's not the place that God created. That's not what He made. The church isn't that place. The church is a place where people are kind of messy and not always doing great or awesome and sometimes are upset and sometimes are mean or sometimes are are angry or sometimes are frustrated or sometimes are bitter or sometimes whatever the case may be, but they just got to be that because that's who. that's what's going on. And, and so if there's going to be any change, there's going to be any healing, there's only going to be any deliverance, there's going to be anything that actually happens in those kind of places, it's, there's got to be some kind of an honesty about it. I remember Martha told you to tell me a story. She might have told you guys a story before. But she used to go to a church in this place called Akron. And it was a, a church. I knew the pastor. I knew... Uh, most people are part of the church. But they were one of those churches that supported me in my ministry. But she she started going there. Uh, she didn't live too far from there uh, where she was living while she was going to school. And so she was going to church there. And so the, the pastor, because she didn't know how things go in church. Um, She's new to church things. And so the pastor got up and he's like, all right, so... If, if any of you, you know, have sin in your life, or I feel exactly what he said, and you really want to just take it to God and you want to lay it down on the altar, why don't you come on up here and, and do that? And he, he was talking. He was like starting the altar call. Well, she didn't wait for the altar call to get done. She just walked straight up front while he was still talking. And it startled the guy. Because he didn 't expect anybody to come up because in the way that things work and these kind of things, you wait till it 's over, the music starts, and maybe you sing a song, and then everybody kind of goes up after that. Well, as soon as he said you got you're messed up and you want something fixed in your life or something, she just got up out of her seat and just walked right down there and was just standing there and and so it it, it, it struck me when she told that story about like she honestly. I'm messed up. I want some help. you got a guy up there going through the paces of how you're supposed to do it, which there's a rhythm to it and there's all this stuff. I mean, I did it plenty of times. There's a rhythm to it. She wasn't waiting for the rhythm because she didn't know what the rhythm was. All she knew is she was messed up. She wanted somebody to pray for her. And she wanted to lay something down before God and she wanted to be done with it. And her aggressiveness to do that scared the guy that was running the service. Yep. Honesty has a way of doing that, but honesty's the only way I know to be set free, and I'm not talking about you know getting up and telling your every last darkest sin or anything. All I'm saying is you just being honest with who you are and and letting God work in you and set you free, seeing yourself for who you really are, good, the bad, the ugly, whatever, but letting God. Really work on that and and letting Him set you free. And just not pretending. And I think if if we can see that in ourselves, and we can allow God to do the work in us, and and He can grow us, and and we can mature in that, I think that a natural byproduct of that is that we start caring about people a lot more that are around us. Because I'm telling you, I, I depend on people for a lot of stuff. And I want to be able to depend on people, if I'm sleeping, that they're going to be awake. I want to, I want to believe that. I want to believe that if we leave somebody on watch, that they're going to be on watch so the rest of us can rest. I want to believe that. And I know I'm just using this as an example, but I want you to understand what I'm saying. That if, if this is you and you're being dependent on, then care enough to get it done. That's all and I, I, and i'm kind of a an optimist in some ways not totally and if you know me well you know i'm not but uh, i am in some ways and and people you know they'll mess up okay try again and they mess up try again and and i'm i'm kind of an optimist that way because i think sometimes people change and and they may be able to actually step up and there comes a day where people actually step up And they get it done. And so, as Paul says here, hey, be on guard. I'm just going to say, and and that was an order. He's like, be on guard. Keep watch. Just step up. I'm going to ask you, step up. Find that spot. Step up. Care enough. Step up. Love people enough. Step up. Be someone that people can count on. Step up. Be someone that God counts on. Step up. Be faithful. Step on up. Keep guard. Keep watch. The other thing he says here is stand firm. And again, this is a reprimand. So the, the church, and in the picture you get standing firm, well, what must have been happening if they're being told to stand firm? They must have been rocking to and fro is the picture. That's the word picture of that, that they're just kind of blowing in the wind, rocking to and fro. And he's like, well, stand firm. That's that's the order. That's what he has to say. And the idea of doing this is you do this in faith. Not in the churchy faith, but in the New Testament sense of faith. Because the churchy faith is different than the New Testament sense of faith. In the New Testament... The idea of faith is the act of believing. There's an action involved in it. You're actually believing and it's affecting your behavior and your life. That's what faith is in the New Testament. The churchy idea of faith is the body of truths that we believe. That we, There's a body of truth. We gather it all together, write it down. We got it in a book. We look at it. Oh, I believe that, and we call that our faith. That's a churchy definition. That's not the Bible definition. That's not the New Testament definition. But somehow, that idea of faith has become the definition. Bible definition of faith, New Testament definition of faith is action. New Testament definition of faith is that it's got to affect something. It's not like, oh, uh, these truths, we hold these truths. Okay, that's it. No? No. What does that mean? What does it translate into into your life? What does that look like when it's lived out, when it's fleshed out? That's the New Testament idea of faith. Is that we're actually going to live it. Meaning, I believe in healing. Alright? Well, great. Let's start praying for people to be healed. I believe God heals people. Good. Let's start praying for people to be healed. Healed. Let's start believing that we're going to be healed. Let's start believing that I'm going to be healed. Whatever needs to happen, it translates that idea into action. That's faith. It's not enough to say it. It's not enough to have a body of things that we believe to be true. That That's not it. That's a, that's a, a really poor substitute of what the New Testament calls faith. Just to believe in a bunch of truths to say, okay, well, that's what I believe. What does that mean? Nothing. Until you put it into practice. I believe God loves you. Well, let's go love some people. All right, great. I believe whatever. You know, I could go on. It's like, I believe whatever. It's like we've got to translate that somehow. What does that mean? Well, it means that there's an action associated with it. What does it mean? It means that there's a life associated with it and that life has to be translated that that idea of whatever it is has to be translated into some kind of actionable result it's like all right gonna pray for people to be healed good great choice gonna love people great choice i believe in forgiveness good forgive people great choice i believe in grace then be a person of grace show some grace great choice i believe in mercy show some mercy Great choice. You follow what I'm saying? You can say you believe in anything. When it comes right down to it, what do you believe? You believe in what you do. That's what it translates into. Alright, if it ain't translating into that, you probably don't have a lot of faith in that thing. Probably don't. And and that's just something to be honest about. And that's something to say, okay, increase my faith. Jesus, increase my faith. Increase my faith In love, increase my faith in mercy, increase my faith in grace, increase my faith in patience, increase my faith, whatever it is. But to be honest about it, if you're not seeing anything actionable in your life, probably don't have a lot of faith in that area. Okay. No one's judging that. It's just a fact. Okay, so what do you do about it? Ask God to increase your faith. And so, he says here you need to stand firm. And the idea is to have your feet planted somewhere, not to be sliding around, not to be rocking around, but to have your feet planted, that whole idea of the rocks. I'm going to build my house on a rock. Why? Because the winds come and the floods come and all the rest comes and they can't knock it down because it is solid in a rock. You've got good footing. You've got good standing and you're going to stand there and you're going to be able to withstand the wind. You're going to be able to stand the wave. You're going to be able to withstand whatever comes your way. That's it. I am going to stand firm. How? I'm going to plant my feet on the rock. Now in that parable of the house and all that, that rock was Jesus. So we're going to build our house and build it on a rock. You want to stand firm? You're going to stand firm on a rock. Because that's where the foundation is. That's where the ground isn't moving. That's where the soil isn't shifting. That's where the water isn't sweeping the soil away out from under you. You're on a rock. You have solid footing. And Paul says in his nice little order here, stand firm. Stand firm. So he's given them two things so far. He, said, he says, keep watch. Keep watch. Stand firm. So then he says this, and don't get offended. He said, be a man. (laughs) Be men. And this is the only place, the only place in the New Testament that this word is used. is right here. It's used nowhere else. And the idea behind it is the same ideas behind the other things. He's giving them this short order. Now, he's writing to the church, so he's writing to both men and women, so listen up. Listen up. That's who he's writing to. But he he uses this very specifically, very specifically, to tell people they need to be brave. That's what he's saying. Be brave. Be brave. These are not days, neither were they days 2,000 years ago, in the Corinthian church, for us not to be brave. For us to be afraid. Now, he's given them this order because they were probably a little bit afraid. He's given them a reprimand because they're probably living afraid a little bit. And what he's letting them know is these aren't the days for that. These are not the days. And so, they must have been living and playing the coward somehow. And so, he's telling them, you need to pluck up your courage. You need to show some strength. And as the Bible talks about, is that the Holy Spirit strengthens us. Strengthened by might, by His Spirit in our inner man. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. To be strengthened in His might in your inner man. And if you don't feel that, you need to ask Him for it. If you're feeling a little bit afraid, then you're feeling a little bit afraid. And I don't know anybody that's not afraid sometimes. Nobody. Nobody. Except maybe Chuck Norris, but I don't know that. But he would be about the only one. But everybody else, we all get afraid sometimes. And we need to recognize that when it happens to us and and just say, okay, God, strengthen me. Give me courage. You know, this, what he's telling them, when he tells them this, he says, be on your guard. All right, good. And then he says, all right, you need to, in other words, keep watch, stand firm, be men. He's talking about a way of life here. And being afraid ain't a way of life. That is not a way of life. Living afraid is not a way of life. At least not with any value. And and God hasn't really called us to live scared. He's not called us to live lives that are scared. we got real powers and forces working against us right now. Uh, in our society to make us afraid of everything. And if you haven't noticed that, um, okay, I have. You know, I, the words that are used uh, talking about things that aren't supposed to make you afraid. Like, like the weather. Like you start reading certain words that are being used about the weather. Um, we live in Syracuse, New York. Syracuse, New York. In the wintertime, in Syracuse, it snows. Every snowstorm that we get cannot be life-threatening. I'm sorry. Every snowstorm that we get can't be catastrophic. Every I'm just using real words here. It can't be deadly. Every snowstorm that we get can't be the storm of the century every snowstorm we get can't be all the words that are being used to make you afraid. They can't be. And that is is done on purpose. And you need to recognize that so you can reject it on purpose. Because I'm not going to live afraid. And I want to encourage you not to live afraid. Once people found out powers it be whoever they are i don't care what you believe who you think or whatever it doesn't matter the powers that be once they found out that when people get afraid you can make them do just about anything they made it their purpose to make you afraid i don't care whether it's the weather or whether it you know for a while they kept talking about drought for years they're talking about drought 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 Maps of drought everywhere, you know, running out of water, okay, let me tell you something about water. If you got water sitting on top of the ground and it's not soaking in, there's plenty of water in the ground. And the water table's good, okay? I know I'm not a geologist or nothing, okay? I'm just saying I took earth science in ninth grade. I remember that part, okay. Even if there's a guy at the University of Nebraska, University of Nebraska, telling me that there's drought in the Adirondacks, well, if I'm up there and water's pouring out of rocks into the road while I'm driving by, there's not a drought. (laughs) I wrote that guy at the University of Nebraska. I told him he should be ashamed of himself, whoever he is, for even doing that. And he should be ashamed of himself, try and make us afraid, or whatever the new thing is. I don't care what the new thing is I'm not even gonna I'm not even going get get into it. I mean, start talking about disease, start talking about whatever I, yeah, all I'm trying to say is, as purposed as these people are to make you scared, I want you to purpose to be brave, really. Just do it. Just purpose in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. I'm just gonna be brave. Jesus strengthen me by your might, by your spirit in my inner man, in my inner being. Strengthen me. I'm gonna purpose in my life to be brave. I am not gonna live that way. I'm not gonna do it. I am not gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna live my life. I'm gonna live in peace. I'm gonna live in joy. I'm gonna live brave you got Paul hey you might it might not be it might be two thousand year old language but hey be a man all right be brave and that's really what he's saying and and you know language is language whatever I think we're smart enough to figure that part out okay at least I hope so and we're smart enough to figure that part out not be offended by something a guy said two thousand years ago but to take the idea behind what he said and to say, I am going to purpose to be brave in my life. Somebody look at Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10. Thanks. Again, Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why would he be telling the Ephesian church that? Probably because they weren't that strong. Probably because they struggled. Probably because they had moments of weakness. Probably because they lived in a certain amount of fear. Probably because there were certain challenges they were facing. Probably there were certain things that came against them as a church. Probably there were certain people that were coming against them as a church. Probably there were certain threats that were coming against them as a church. And so he was reminded them, he was telling them, be strong. Be strong. Let this process of strengthening take place in your life. Let it happen. It's okay. And it's okay if you're not entirely 100% all strong and Adam today. That's okay because it's a process of strengthening that God is doing in us, a process of building trust in Him and who He is and in His care over us for our lives, a process for understanding His love and His grace over us, a process to understand that He has us, He's got you, and to find rest and peace and strength and bravery in that by allowing Him to strengthen you in your innermost being. Let that process happen in your life. So keep watch. Stand firm. Be men. And it's kind of interesting where he talks about a clarity. That we're to live in a clarity. Not in a fog. And the, the idea behind that was that there were people in the church that were arguing. They were just arguing. There were just, you know, dissension. There were all kinds of arguments going on. And basically he's just saying, stop your arguing. Stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. It's not that important. What you're disagreeing about is not more important than the work of God. What you don't like... Is not more important than what God's doing through you and through us. What what you think could be better isn't doesn't matter as much as what God is accomplishing right here and right now. Uh, I can't tell you how many stupid things have split churches. Just dumb things, really dumb things, just cause arguments and dissensions and splits in churches because of what? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Just just letting talk just run rampant. And losing sight of a bigger picture of why we're all here. Nothing's ever perfect. Nothing. I mean Jesus and his daddy they're perfect, but nothing else is perfect. <laughs> so we're we're kind of living in this imperfect thing and there's a bigger picture involved in it though. And if you keep the bigger picture in mind, and if the bigger picture is still, we're still moving toward that and we're still seeing that happening, then let's just set aside whatever, you know, our little pet peeve is. And live bigger. Or that person that has offended you so gravely because they didn't say hi or they didn't like your post or something. I don't know. So let's let's set that aside. Let's kind of... You know, keep moving toward what God has for us. And in the practical things, I mean, that's what Paul's telling him, is like, Man, there's bigger fish to fry than your own little personal beef, whatever that is. Because he ends up here in the in the big statement here is let all you do be in love. It all comes to that. Let all you do be in love. Let let it happen. And like I said, you got to, all these things that are taking place, where he's given this order. He's like, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then he says, "But everything you do, just let it be done in love." Because as important as those orders were, this you know, keep watch and standing firm, and and living bravely, and and living in clarity. Like those are really important. He's like, none are more important than doing what you do in love. And that sums up everything that he's saying there. He's like, it's got to be about the love. And it's got to be a bigger love than what we've been experiencing or knowing. And just letting that love be bigger and bigger and bigger in us and through us. Because love is better than fighting. It's better. Love is better than uh, any sword or any weapon or anything else, love's just better. Love's better than fighting, love's better than all of it. And so whatever's happening, whatever's going on, love's better. Whatever the issue is, love's better. Whatever the problem is, love's better. Love's always better. And so I I just want to encourage you that this is the this is the message. All right? He's summing up a whole letter. 15 chapters of a letter. He's summing up and he's saying, this is what i got to say. The conclusion. Like We jump to the conclusion. We didn't read the story. We just jumped to the conclusion. We're reading the good part right now. And this is the good part. The good part is this, 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 and this, but you better do it in love. And let love just be bigger. And whatever else is going on. So let's take a moment and pray. And uh, let God speak to you about whatever He's going to speak to you about here. There are a few things that were said, uh, things that Paul really just just hammered real quick. But maybe there was something that he spoke to you about in this. You know, maybe you're sitting there and it's like, yeah, I'm kind of asleep right now. Kind of slumbering. Spiritually, and and maybe I don't care too much about people around me. Maybe that's just the truth. But there might be something in you that he wants to deal with tonight. Something that is on a motive level. level. Something that is in your heart that he wants to deal with tonight. Something that as he deals with that in you, that you'll wake up. Something that as he deals with you, that maybe something released in you that you begin to see people differently and you begin to care about people more. So, Father, I pray for those that you want to work in their heart. And I just ask you tonight that you would work in somebody's heart tonight. I pray that you would change some things. I pray for hearts that, Have been hardened, and and I I just I speak flesh where the stone is. You said that you would replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, and so Jesus, I call on you to put flesh into people tonight. Tonight, flesh into those hearts of stone. Yeah, flesh that cares, a flesh that's living. A flesh that can be touched. Touched emotionally, spiritually. And I just, I rebuke hardness tonight of the heart. Even places where people have tried to shore it up and harden it so they don't get hurt again or whatever the case may be. I just pray that this would be a new day. Not to live in fear of being hurt, but to get free To just live. To feel. Yeah. To feel. So I pray hearts of flesh. Hearts of flesh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe God's speaking tonight about being unstable. I don't know, the rocking to and fro of uh, of just not being stable and being blown about by different winds and being blown about by different circumstances or different situations. And you hear in this call, they need to stand firm. And so God, I pray for those who need to stand firm. And I pray you'd activate a faith in them that would lead to action. I pray action in faith tonight. For those that have been satisfied just knowing what to believe, as in doctrine, or what to believe as in uh, a bunch of truths that they say they can affirm, God, I pray that you would raise up simple faith that leads to just action. Faith that loves people, faith that cares about people, faith that serves people, faith that prays for people, faith that believes for healing in people, faith that believes for deliverance in people, faith that that moves to see that happen over people's lives, at least action, that we would find our footing on Jesus tonight, on the rock. And so I I ask that people that have been sliding around and people that have been uh, being blown about, that their feet would be planted on the rock, tonight, and that you would stabilize lives tonight, in Jesus' name. Maybe God spoke to you tonight about being fearful. God, I just pray courage in Jesus' name. I thank you that the perfect love of the Father casts out all fear, and I just speak a casting out of fear tonight, and I pray, God, that we would purpose in our lives To live bravely. Purpose in our lives. To live bravely in you. I pray that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us in our inner being. Strengthen us, God, by your Holy Spirit tonight in Jesus' name. I just rebuke fear. I rebuke the lies. Yeah. I've got a stability and a bravery in Jesus' name. Father, I pray you'd fill us all with the bigger picture of who you are and what you're doing. God, we would see beyond whatever our small little problems and issues are, and we'd see to something bigger. I pray, Father, for a bigger vision. I pray for, God, a bigger purpose. I pray, God, just a, a bigger life that we can live. And I ask you, God, that we would do what we do all in love. Teach us how to live in love. Teach us how to speak in love. Teach us how to care for one another in love. Teach us, God, how to serve one another in love. Teach us, God, how to forgive one another in love. Teach us, God, how to to be with one another, to be friends with one another in love. Give you thanks tonight. Ask God that you would continue to work in us, and I pray, Father, that we'd respond to you where we need to respond, we'd receive from you where we need to receive. We give you thanks and honor. We ask these things in Jesus' name. That's us okay agree by saying, Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming, everybody. Good to see you tonight.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You no, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know? He's, He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. Alright. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community yeah, that. see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No, nope. started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm, yeah, as an afterwards of Chapman City of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know that's our hood. Mhm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we we homies. You know, yeah.